Please welcome Mami. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you very much for coming in a very cold, rainy Sunday afternoon. And I'm very pleased to be able to introduce you a whole body of Ai Weiwei's artistic practice uh, because he had been rather introduced as our uh, dissident artist in the last few years. And his documentary had been out in the world. So uh, a lot of people started to get interested in him. But this is the very first time in the United States to be able to show this body of work. And I wanted to begin the show. Maybe you can make some room for the people who doesn't join the team, uh, the group. Um, I wanted to begin the show with a group of photographs from the construction site of the Beijing Olympic Stadium. Uh, Beijing Olympic was 2008, and he worked with uh, architect Herzog and Domuron and to design the shape and then also landscape design around it. And uh, we also wanted to show you two pieces from the work Divine and uh, F-Size, which also shows his interest in, in construction and structure and uh, different way of using uh, traditional technique. But 2008 is really the time that uh, Beijing Olympic happened, which he thought was too propaganda and he didn't really go to the Olympic. But also May 2008, the earthquake happened in the area called Sichuan in China. And that's he started his uh, human rights activities from them. So uh, this show was originally compiled in Mori Art Museum in Tokyo 2009, and that was the very beginning of him starting to involve more directly with the social changes and what is happening, like specific incidents in China. And uh, so uh, the, the exhibition will begin with his, his earlier work and it goes on to more recent work. So let's begin. You're welcome to spread around in this room as far as you can hear the speaker. And exhibition, uh, the first piece in this gallery you see is called the Kipe. It's a German word for sort of a gymnastic uh, word. And uh, this piece is composed of this to the parallel bar for the gymnastics plus all these firewood. And it came in seven different crates seven different uh, the wood, uh, wood boxes. And uh, uh, he was born in 1957 uh, as a son of the very important Chinese poet called Ai Qin. And uh, right after he was born, it was more, more or less the beginning of a cultural revolution in China. So all the intellectual had to be uh, not doing what they want to do, and his father and whole family was exiled to Xinjiang district, very sort of north part, uh, or uh, north uh, west part of China. And uh, he spent there nearly 17, 18 years. So uh, during the Cultural Revolution, when uh, there was a lot of limitation for your life, he said in the school, there was only this parallel bar and the one basketball goal to play around. So children has to be very creative to enjoy your uh, schoolyard by only these two bars. But also there's a lot of uh, 
uh, firewoods comes from his memory that because the Xinjiang district is very cold in winter, so all family had to prepare all this uh, wood for the uh, firing, but only his family, I's family, had a very nicely piling up these firewood so that everybody passed by was always amazed how beautiful they are. And so this is a sort of a combination of his childhood memory. But uh, already shows his sort of a creative mind uh, already at that time. And uh, on the wall, we have a series of black and white photographs uh, called uh, New York Photographs because he lived in the United States, especially in New York, from 1981 to uh, 93, for 12 years. And he went to school at the beginning, but he didn't really go there. And then rest, he left the school soon. And uh, he said uh, there was so many morning that he had nothing to do. So walk up and then have the camera in his, in his hand and just walk around the city. But you see what he was seeing, what he was interested in already at that time. And uh, some of the earlier photographs uh, were taken in Brooklyn and the, some other places taken by his friends. But on the right hand, right left one, Number two shows the portrait of Master Duchamp, very important, like a father of contemporary art, and a portrait made by the cloth hanger, and together with uh, sunflower seed. And sunflower seed also means a lot that it's not only uh, very basic snacks for the uh, Chinese people, but also during the Cultural Revolution, Mao Zedong wants the sun. And because the sunflower moves their head around the sun, so people, like general uh, citizens, were supposed to be sunflower. So that represents a lot of uh, uh, references too. And we can go on to other pieces maybe. And this piece is called uh, Map of China. Those who are like tall people can see the shape of this piece from the top. Maybe you can ask your photograph, I mean camera, to help capture the images. And uh, this is, uh, he used uh, nearly 300 pieces and joined together without using any nails. And uh, this is a traditional joinery system for Chinese architecture and furniture. And so uh, you can see how complicated it is to make the shape, but also maybe we can interpret like the China is so vast, so it's very difficult to have vast overall view of the country. And uh, the same method was applied to this piece called the China Log. And uh, there is a hole and the shape of the map of China. So it's going through. Uh, yeah, this shape is a map of China. So it's, China yeah, that's the map of China too. And uh, this is made out of eight pillars and again jointed uh, without using any nails. And all of these uh, wooden materials comes from uh, Qin Dynasty temples. And starting from a uh, Cultural Revolution and also till now, a lot of important historical facts, artifacts and buildings have been uh, demolished or destroyed to make the China as a new country.
So uh, he took all these very important parts or material that contains different historical memories and meaning and uh, changing and transforming into something different. And uh, you can also see from this piece called the grapes, there are a lot of uh, round stools made out of 40 stools. And again, no nails, some glues, and he started this experiment, how much the traditional craftsman could expand their ability so that uh, you understand the meaning of the material, uh, material and technique. And this is made, composed of 40 stools. But latest version, he is always challenging. So the latest version, he used 100. I haven't seen the images yet, but he said uh, the latest one is the stool with 100 uh, pieces. And uh, we also placed some of the quotations from his writing. And uh, I think you can resonate with his background thoughts with what you see as an object. And this piece uh, called a tea house and uh, you can still smell some of the tea. It will go away maybe in two weeks. Maybe I'm too close to the work. <laughs> and this is made out of the Chinese tea called a Pu'er tea. And a lot of poor tea is produced in Yunnan district. And he had made a piece called one ton of tea. It's the same way compressed poor tea in one meter cubic. And that was already one ton. So this is a new version specially made for this United States tour. And this is 80 centimeter, 120 high, 120 wide. So uh, this is one house, uh, weights more than one tomb. And it's very difficult to make the shape into one like, solid shape. When you go to China or maybe Chinatown, you see this uh, round tea, the compressed and the dried, and he's using exactly the same technique, but very extended way. And these are the spring crudes, same plural tea, but not compressed together. So, uh, yeah, these objects stand as it is, but as soon as you start sprinkling, sprinkling these teas on the floor, it becomes sort of responding to the space and the architecture element you can find. So he had been worked a lot on the architecture project too. So he has a very delicate sense for the space, relationship with you, space, and the object. And on this wall, the series of uh, New York photographs continues. And you can see some of the uh, descriptions that we have laminated on the wall. So maybe after the talk, you can have, a, you can have it in your hand and see exactly what he was shooting. But uh, you can see some of the images that he was in the Museum of Modern Art taking a photograph 
as if yeah, he's posing like Andy Warhol, and uh, you can see some of the works by Marcel Duchamp or Jasper Jones, those very important American uh, post-war artists who made him important uh, influence on understanding uh, modern and contemporary art from the West. And uh, which doesn't mean that he was just following the Western art, but also gave him a view or a way to think how his uh, position as a Chinese artist could respond to the Western art history and how he can find his own uh, way of finding himself. So uh, then also you can find uh, a, the images, 80s New York. There are a lot of uh, social issues started, including AIDS and homeless, all these problems. And he, uh, this is him and his brother on the left-hand side. And this is his brother. And uh, so uh, you will see uh, he was doing many things, like working different, uh, working on a different job, like carpenter and framer, or maybe something to do with the shoe shop, just to sustain his life. And um, he was even doing uh, uh, one day, how do you call it? Um, yeah, he was working for the Metropolitan Opera just one day as an uh, external person. And I don't think it's him. <laughs> and in the next room, we can more to see his uh, understanding and interpretation of how he can associate with uh, tradition and how can also we also reform from the tradition and uh, try to make a stop and then try to see through this hole um, this piece is called the moon chest and he made this using this traditional chest form and uh, but making a hole either in the center or left or right and so that if you see through you kind of see the shape of the different moons so it's called the moon chest And you can also continue looking at uh, photographs from New York and uh, so that you can see that he was looking at some of the citizens' protests in uh, Manhattan and Central Park and he was very impressed to see the people are standing up against the uh, uh, government or bigger power or any kinds of authorities. And this is the Chateau Lafitte, is one of the earlier pieces from him in 1988, when he was still in New York, and uh, he couldn't really buy the expensive leather shoes, and he could only wear these Chinese uh, cotton shoes that he was always wearing. And so he combined with this uh, wine bottle, wine and shoes, and this is a very classic method of bringing something uh, commodity to uh, something else. And it's called ready-made. He's using already existing uh, object or products from the market. Then by putting two totally different things together, making something into, uh, making that into something different. And that method was started by the artist called Master Duchamp in early uh, 
20th century. So 100 years later, we are still doing it. And still, we think it's very interesting to see shoes and wine bottles together. And so we can go on. And here we have very fragile wax. So let's be very careful about the wax. And uh, on the wall, that's Ai Weiwei, uh, maybe 10 years ago. He's now a little bit bigger than this. And, uh, but he's dropping the very important uh, base, important orum from Han Dynasty. And you think, it's oh my god, if you're a lover for the antiquities, what is this man doing by breaking these important artifacts? But what he's trying to do is, he says that by breaking or um, uh, deconstructing something existing or existing value, you can only find a new value or something creative. But also at the same time, you can refer to the fact that in China, many uh, historical or important artifacts had been destroyed already. So maybe he might be criticizing by showing actually doing it in front of your eyes. And uh, this is another piece called the colored basis using Han Dynasty pots and uh, just dipping them into the industrial color paint, like house paint. And uh, this is again same, like, first like shocking, uh, uh, shocking effect to see what he has done. But also he transformed that historical object very beautifully so that it's suddenly being created as another value. And uh, some of these objects, uh, the one at the corner is called a Coca-Cola base, and uh, painted this Coca-Cola logo on Neolithic pots. It's very, like, few thousand old, and uh, together with a Coca-Cola mark. And the Coca-Cola logo is worldwide, very famous, of course. But a lot of artists, including Andy Warhol, had used and uh, resonated or reacted to the Coca-Cola logo because it's a, a symbol of mass production and uh, consumerism and also economical growth and all of these. And uh, if you think Coca-Cola is an American thing, it's no. China loves Coca-Cola, <laughs> and they are like world number four consuming the Coca-Cola. So uh, they, that's their drink now too. And the way we said, just the color and the shape of the uh, Coca-Cola logo, it has a nice resonance with the shape of the pot, and how we can think of these uh, connections. And uh, we have this beautiful, very, very attractive piece that you might really want to put your whole hand in it, but you cannot. It's uh, two balls of pearls. Uh, river, sorry, the pure water pearls. And uh, there's no fake underneath. It's full. It's filled with uh, pearls. And... Um, it's also very beautiful, but you can also interpret it in a different way. For instance, a lot of, like most of the uh, pure water pearls are now being farmed in China. So maybe this is representing uh, economical prosperity of the country. Uh, 
but also this is just a lot. So instantly you started to doubt, maybe this is not real. This cannot be real. This, there cannot be such a um, expensive material being used like this and exposed to us in exhibition. That's why we have one guard watching at us. <laughs> And, uh, but if you see one pearl on your hand, maybe you think that's more precious and important than seeing it is too many. And this issue will touch up on the later issue that he's really trying to see the value of individual life, not as a whole. And if you have too many numbers, the importance of one becomes smaller. And um, um, so uh, let's move on. This is real pearls. <laughs> in fact. And uh, we can look at this piece called uh, uh, Cube in Ebony. And uh, so this is again one meter cubic. And we can associate with this minimalistic idea that you can find so many cubic shapes in a Western art history, particularly in the minimalism time. And we have chosen some of the works from Hirschhorn's collection, which use the cubic shape. So you can find and see the differences. And uh, although this is Aesthetically having this element of minimalism, he took the surface of this decoration, very beautifully done, all hand-carved, was taken from this small box that he was given from his father. So uh, this small box is like a, a chestnut uh, shell. And uh, using this traditional technique, he asked a traditional uh, craftsman to uh, replace or transform the decoration or patterns from that small box onto the surface. Yes, I know there is a hole here. Don't worry about it. No, 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 it's a part of, there. you can find another part similar. So there is some patterns. So um, don't worry. <laughs> and then we can again look at the series of um, photographs on the wall and the floor and again on the wall. It's called a provisional landscape. And uh, you can see a lot of changes are happening in China. But since 1948, uh, basically the land is belongs to, let's try not to touch the work, okay? Um, so 1969, when current Chinese government started their own country or government, that all land now belongs to the government, basically. They only do longest, like 99 years, uh, long time long. So uh, what you see is vast uh, scale of the land has been flattened and then making all this new development. And this is already some time ago, like maybe like 10 years ago. So now what you see after Olympic, the landscape is already so different. But uh, this is again the question of what are we throwing away and what we need to keep it. So it relates to what he has done with this traditional historical object and what can we do about those uh, changes. And these uh, black and photographs now um, 
first group was from New York Times, but this group is after he went back to China in Beijing, 93, because uh, his father became sick, so uh, he was worried about his father. But also he said, actually, after spending 12 years in the United States, I had no context. And he really needed to go back to his own context and trying to find what he could do there. So some of the images shows um, he went back to the Beijing art community and he's with some of the artist friends. It's called a Beijing East Village. There was an artist village. But the activity as a contemporary artist wasn't so easy at that time. It wasn't really promoted as is it as it is now. And then also idea of this Western art and Master Duchamp, Andy Warhol, all these ideas hadn't really been uh, imported in China. So as, uh, right after he went back to China, 93, 94, 97, he published a book called uh, Black Cover, White Cover, and Gray Cover, explaining uh, Western art history in Chinese, a different idea of looking at art and creating something new. Because a traditional way of painting, for instance, sometimes what you do is you copy from your, what master did. So it's important training a painter, instead of creating some new imagery, the, the, Japan too, they traditionally people copied so that you can uh, inherit the technique, but also learn how to paint. So uh, he has changed all this, um, he brought the new ideas to the Beijing art communities, and that was printed 3,000 copies underground. It went through the Chinese art community around that time, and, and, and he became very important sort of bridge between someone who had spent more than 10 years in New York and then bringing that kind of new idea about contemporary art. And you can see some of the performances, pieces that had been happening in uh, Beijing at the time. And then also in uh, 95, he started to play around this idea of using Qin Dynasty furniture so that these two stools, you saw 40 stools now, but this is when he started, how he could uh, sort of try to experiment with ex existing structures and reconstruct and uh, uh, bringing out some new values. How did he uh, get those old vases and the old stools? After he went back to China 93, again he said, I had nothing to do. For six years, until he, made, he built his own studio and house in 99, he said, I was just walking around the city, went to the antique market, and his brother had a very good eye on the, the antiques, but uh, he also had, uh, obviously had a very good eye on the antiques. So uh, he went around the antique market and bought all these uh, pots. You're free to take a photograph. <laughs> and this is called uh, Huxie. And Huxie is a Chinese word for the river crab. Maybe if you're Chinese, you can pronounce it better. Huxie. Yes, this is the right pronunciation. <laughs> and uh, but also it's a monophone. It's the same pronunciation as the uh, harmony, and that uh, being used as uh, one of the, the government slogan to make the, the big country as harmonized.
And uh, so the hushe had been used as a sort of inter the internet slang as a censorship too. And how the, some of the words had been controlled under current regime. And uh, you cannot really find Ai Weiwei's name. You cannot Google his name because it doesn't just appear. And uh, also in 2010, he built a new stu uh, studio in Shanghai. And, um, and right after it was completed, the city, of, city government asked him, please demolish it. You can't have a studio here. So he had to demolish entire new studio. So before the demolition of the studio, he invited 10,000 people to celebrate with the crabs. So uh, he invited through internet, but uh, government was so afraid that something gonna happen. So uh, he was house arrested during the party that weekend. So he couldn't go to the party, but party just happened without him. And so many people ate like 10,000 crops. So he made this um, porcelain uh, individual crops and uh, handmade, hand-painted, and he made 10,000. Here we have one third of it. 3,200 crabs are here. And uh, the, his team installed as if crabs are alive. So some part you can see that crabs are fighting or some crabs are trying to escape, but try to make it as real as possible. Then it raises a question again of uh, fake and authenticity, what makes this fake and fake could be also authentic, and uh, also the way to inherit this uh, traditional technique of very delicate uh, cer uh, ceramic porcelain making. And uh, this is one of the ways to inherit by just doing it, by just making it. And here we're also showing 2,000 of these in uh, Mary Boone Gallery in New York soon. It's opening next week. And then let's look at the last big piece. Uh, what you see here is uh, 38 tons of uh, steel riba. That's a very ordinary steel riba that you see uh, from the construction site. But these uh, ribas were actually at the Sichuan earthquake site and where he started the citizen investigation project. So right after um, Sichuan earthquake happened, it's not uh, about the earthquake, but during the earthquake, somehow only uh, school buildings had collapsed very badly, while the uh, corporate building or city officers' buildings were not collapsing. So which means there was something about the uh, insufficient structural engineering of the schools. They were not using proper rebars, they were not using enough amount of rebars to support the whole building. And then uh, out of the earthquake, 90,000 people were lost, they, they lost their lives. But out of this 90,000, uh, he found out names of 5,000 5, children who were under the collapsed school buildings. So he went to the site right after the, the earthquake and saw and found all these school bags spread around. And uh, he just didn't know what to do as an artist. And he felt so responsible 
to find out the truth, to see what had happened. So he started uh, this um, citizen's investigation using the volunteers, and uh, he first asked the Sichuan police to, uh, can I have a name of the people who lost their lives? But it wasn't uh, revealed. So he started his own way of finding all those names. And then a um, year later, when he went back to Sichuan in 2009, um, he was already sort of being watched by the local police. And he was taken to the police and beaten up and uh, then he had the damage in his brain, and that caused huge trouble after he traveled to the Germany. So whole thing starts like last three years, after Mori Art Museum showed were open, and he went to Sichuan, and uh, his sort of conflict or involvement with the social uh, issues had became more directly reflected to his artistic practice. So uh, after he found that these bented, these are all bented before, and uh, after all these bented um, steels were being sold at the market, uh, he wanted to keep that memory that being embraced or contained in the material. So he bought 200 tons of the steel river, bented steel rivers from that earthquake site, and then brought back like truck full of steels to uh, Beijing. And then he asked his people to just starting to straighten them up one by one. It's huge amount of painstaking amount of work. So now it looks like a new straight river, but it used to be all bented. So uh, he was saying that now the collapsed school was totally rebuilt and the city is going to be renewed. So people is going to forget what had happened without really investigating what was the truth behind and uh, without really finding out who lost the, the name, names of the people who lost their lives. So he said as if nothing had happened, he had to bring this uh, rebirth straight. And so this uh, shape reminds us of the cracks of the land, uh, ground from the earthquake. And uh, you can easily compare with some of the uh, heavy-weighted sculpture like Richard Seller from uh, Western art history. But material itself has this, the completely different context. And also materials have this memory of all the incidents or, or people's life. And uh, 38 tons is very heavy. And it was very difficult for the museum to have this piece. But when you think of the value or weight of the 5,000 people's life, it's not so heavy, probably. And you can see some of the images from uh, Sichuan earthquake here. And then we are going to the last room. So after we saw the rebirth, we have two marble sculptures. One is Severance Camilla, one is Helmet, but made in marble. And uh, he, now his studio is surrounded by over 10 Severance Camilla. So he's playing this game to have this uh, Chinese red lantern underneath of the Severance Camilla so that he can easily count. And then also people can find where the Severance Cameras are. 
which the surveillance camera is most likely to be hidden somewhere that you don't really realize. So we place the surveillance camera at the end of the rebar piece. So when you go through the rebar piece, you realize that you've been watched by the surveillance camera. But he said, it's not only about China, it's all around the world, in this country too. The position of a surveillance camera becoming very important. And he said that it's a very important object of today. And uh, it's been secured by being uh, watched by the camera, but also you are always being watched by someone. It's very um, strange situation. So whenever he is being taken, he's photographed by journalists, he receives all these uh, interviews. Whenever he, they have camera onto him, he always takes their photographs too. If he was talking now, um, instead of me, he would be probably taking all of the photographs of you, like this. So it's always like vice versa. And here we have uh, one photograph that he was also taking in the elevator when he was taken to the police in Sichuan. And also brain inflation photograph that was uh, when he took x-ray from a doctor in Munich when he was in Germany. And uh, we have two photographs called the Studies in Perspective which is uh, he's raising a middle finger onto White House and then also Tiananmen Square. And uh, this is a rather earlier piece, not recent piece. But uh, uh, we wanted to also show this piece that the issue that we had been discussing, looking at his work, questioning about the very basic human value, is not only about China, it's the question for all of us, how we can really consider one person's life and how we think it's important, although we have so many, like everywhere you go, everywhere you travel, you meet all these different people, and, uh, but everybody is equally important. How can we confirm this fact? And so the question or issues that he's uh, raising here with us is, not only himself, but he wanted to really communicate through his own experience and his own art. And uh, so after this, you see the wall with the children's name. 5,000 names are on the wall. And some, that mostly Chinese, but you can see their birth date. And uh, so the children who lost their lives varies from two years old to maybe 17, 18 years old. So uh, he took one of the uh, backpack design pattern from the Sichuan earthquake photograph and made it into the snake ceiling, which you see on the ceiling. He made uh, 1,000 backpacks. The sizes are all different because the children's ages are varied from two to the teenagers. So it starts like tails are small and big, bigger to the head. And that is one of the first pieces that he responded to the Sichuan earthquake. And uh, also upstairs, there is uh, uh, 12 monitors, contains more than 7,000 images, slideshow. He had taken from 2003 to 2011, and uh, you can sit forever, maybe whole day, because there's a lot of images 
uh, he loosely edited into different categories. Some are only about food. Some are only about very stupid, his portraits. And uh, some are like nudities. He became naked. And uh, some are about his eyes on the different materials, architecture surface, and his art exhibitions, and uh, Sichuan earthquake, all these things that he had seen through his eyes in the last 10 years uh, in the 12 monitors. So you can really see um, how his perception were. And, uh, uh, but also in a, in an interesting comparison, the title of the piece called 258 Fake, and 258 is his address. He's living in a village called Taochandi, and his address number is 258, and Fake is his company's name. So it really reveals what was his normal daily life. And uh, in comparison with all his very tough activities that you have seen through this Sichuan earthquake project. And uh, so that's I wanted to show you who he is. He is very sort of multi-talented, multi-tasking, um, very uh, broad-minded person. And uh, I, I wish he was here with us today. But uh, uh, I hope you can still communicate with him through his work and some of the words on the wall. And uh, we made a catalog uh, to make it available for all of you, $5. It's, selling the, uh, it's sold at downstairs shop. And there's a hardcover version, which is more expensive. But he likes the idea to share his thought with everybody. So all the, the description of the works and uh, my essay, some of the interviews, and uh, quotation on the wall are in the book. So I hope you can share more of his thoughts and bring it, uh, bring it back home. And uh, maybe you can think about a little bit more about him. Thank you very much.